People stay in jobs way too long. They work for bad bosses. They work in negative environments. They don't get paid enough. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook, presented by Details Interactive and Parity and Element. Here, you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 88, and today's guest is Jessica Jensen. Jessica is the Chief Marketing Officer at Indeed, the number one job site in the world. And she's also worked with many of the most well-known brands that you've heard of, including Facebook, Yahoo, and Apple. She offers some great insights, not only with respect to the work that she's done, but how she has navigated an amazing career and some challenges along the way. And you might also learn some new words for your vocabulary at the opening of the show. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Jensen, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at Indeed. She's responsible for brand, communication, product, and acquisition marketing globally. Before joining Indeed, Jessica was CMO at OpenTable. And prior to that, she led B2B marketing for Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and other meta platforms. She's held her leadership roles at Apple and Yahoo and started her professional career at the Boston Consulting Group. That's quite an array of well-known consumer brands. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Whenever I hear that list, I'm like, yep, I'm old. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I've been there and and people that have listened to the show know, you know, usually I welcome the guest uh, off air and uh, today uh, was no different and Jessica and I were starting and I had a little momentary uh, problem with my mouse and uh, I said it went kablooey and then she used the word kerfuffle and then somehow tomfoolery came into it. So maybe those are only words that, uh, you know, people with some experience would know. We will keep them alive. It is our journey. It is our mission. We must. Okay. Well, we get started on this show all the time, asking the guests about their first story, you kind of where they grew up, um, anything that, you know, in their upbringing that might've suggested where their career path would go. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas. And uh, my parents are also native Kansans. And uh, my dad is a painter who became a creative director and then ran an ad agency. Um, and my mother was a speech and communications professor. So lo and behold, advertising, communications, uh, art and language uh, have stuck with me throughout my life. Um, I didn't think I would end up in the family business, but indeed I have. And I, I used to work on jingles and ad copy with my dad at the dinner table. Uh, and he still sends me notes on my ads. So it's a very fond family uh, fellowship. 
Oh, that's a that's a nice story. We will go through uh, that career a bit, but you know, one of the things as I was prepping, and you know, I reach out to all of my own guests and cultivate uh, folks that I, I'm interested in speaking to. What kind of pressure is there, or has there been, in working for perhaps some of the most known consumer brands out there? Yeah, I would say it's it's both an honor and very exciting, and surely there's pressure as well. I mean, at, you know, working at a place like Apple, uh, which has incredibly strong brand stewardship and uh, very concentrated power structures around decision making, or you know, when I was there, it's been a few years now, but uh, sure, I mean, you felt like if you stepped outside of the box of what was considered right for Apple, the response would be swift and strong. And then the pressure I would say at Facebook was different. You know, when I was there in the early days, it was the Facebook blue app. And then we bought Instagram and built Messenger and bought WhatsApp and built Workplace. And so we went from one brand to a family of brands. And then of course, Cambridge Analytica was very relaxing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so went through all of that uh, soul searching, you know, really, really challenging external scrutiny and response. The, the pressures changed over time in my role there. The reason I and other people work for big brands and you know is, is that, you know, you get to be thrown into the crucible of social scrutiny and trying to drive a boat in a positive direction and there, you know, uh, winds and tides come in a lot of different forms. You uh, mentioned uh, right for Apple. You know, I think brands, there's different flavors of brands. There are brands that think they're brands, but maybe are not. And then there are brands that truly are. And in my mind, a brand is that when you see an ad, you see a voice, you see content, you know from whom it's coming. How did you deal with that? You know, you know, when you know you had an idea and there was debate about whether it was right for Apple or right for Yahoo or right for Facebook. How do you you deal with that as the marketer? Again, I would say it's quite different given the setting, right? Like I joined Yahoo, you know, when it's when it was in its teenage years, and so you know had a very distinctive brand identity and voice. Uh, and I would certainly say the same for Apple. Whereas when I was at Facebook, you know, many of these brands we were building from nothing. And so what was the voice and the brand of Facebook Messenger? Um, as opposed to then acquiring an Instagram, which had at that time a fairly small audience compared to what it's gotten to, but a, but a very definitive point of view on the brand, on, on being kind of an art house among photo apps. Um, and so I've dealt with situations where I'm, you know, the founders of Instagram, the founders of WhatsApp were brought into the Facebook family or now now the meta family and they had very strong conceptions of what their brands were and should be but then we had to help them morph those brands to become accessible to 2 billion people 3 billion people right and and Instagram in its early days really thought of itself as a highly curated highly artistically controlled setting and in order to reach 2 billion people and 
tens of billions of dollars in advertising money, we had to, in some cases, relax those standards and make it more democratic and less um, artistically judgmental. Um, so that was an interesting uh, journey for sure. Whereas with, at Apple, it was like, this is the brand, this is the voice, this is the way we promote it, get on the bus. Uh, there's you know, not a lot of debate or wiggle room. Yeah, and it's interesting because as brands grow over time, you use the word relaxing. You know, there's oftentimes relaxing. You know, you go to Apple, and I suppose if you're a purist, you might argue that there's been some relaxation. But I think for the general consumer, of which I am one with lots of different Apple products, I don't sense a relaxation of the brand. You know, the products are sleek, they're technologically savvy, they're not low price point, you know, but, you know, maybe they're not the most expensive thing out there, but, you know, certainly they have stuck to their knitting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the boxes open in a certain way with a certain release time, um, you know, the measurements of the tables in the stores. I mean, the orthodoxy is impressive. Uh, and I think they have maintained that very purposefully. All right, let's go back to early in your career. You spent uh, five plus years on the consulting side. What did you think you were going to do with consulting? Well, I, who who knows, really? Uh, I was a liberal arts major uh, focused on Japan studies. I lived in Japan for a number of years and worked there. I came back to the US. I did a master's degree in international relations. And then I was like, I got to get a job. And uh, BCG was interviewing and McKinsey was interviewing. And so I went and it was really a flyer for me. I mean, I think at that time I was like, what is business? What is consulting? Is that, uh, I have no idea, but I think I viewed it as an educational opportunity, right? And like, I would get a variety of industries, a variety of business problems to work on and some really smart colleagues. Um, so I kind of viewed it as a testing ground for me. And was I good at business? Did I like business? What kind of business? Um, and sure enough, I did satellites, office products, filmed entertainment, uh, packaged salad, digital distribution of music. I mean, literally, I mean, it was hilarious, the variety uh, of things that I got to work on. And I stayed and I stayed and I stayed and I loved it. I thought it was endlessly fascinating. And I'm like so grateful for my time at BCG and the training I got there. I thought it was outstanding. And what pulled you out of BCG? Yeah. So a client of mine was Investors Business Daily, which some people know as a stock market um, newspaper outlet. Um, and they were a client of ours and we were helping them evolve from a print publication to a more diversified digital set of, you know, not only journalism, but stock tracking apps and financial services products. So it was a pretty unique opportunity to get to lead digital transformation and to really reimagine like what is this set of assets capable of becoming in the digital world and and you know got to build i remember we were building apps for sprint and all every different mobile provider had a different set of platform specs i mean it was just like the wild west of mobile 
Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty, a, a pretty unique and interesting opportunity. And the, the timing of that is important here because this is late nineties. This is not 2020. Um, so, you know, at that moment in time, this was new, right. And I'm sure, right. I'm sure you were probably dealing with lots of folks who were believing in the paper, not in the digital, right. So how did you tackle that? I mean, some of my most fascinating and difficult um, negotiations and experiences were with the editorial staff of the newspaper, who understandably had grown up in print journalism and really thought about publishing cadences and, and certain things in a very specific way. And I think it was very disquieting to them, understandably so, that we would take the newspaper online, add a bunch more features and tools, and kind of diversify beyond journalism into the wider world of stock market analysis, you know, and the frequency of digital publishing uh, versus print and the price points. Um, those were big, gnarly discussions. Gnarly. There's another word for it. We're going to have to have a vocabulary summary. There will be a 90s vocabulary quiz at the end. At the end. Okay. That's going to be good. Thriving brands today have one thing in common. They make it a priority to understand their customers. Imparity uses AI to unify customer data and help businesses know exactly who their customers are and what they care about most. Find new customers, grow loyalty, get better return on ad spend, and manage privacy compliance. An accurate, unified customer data foundation connected with the teams and tools that need it makes everything you do with customer data work better. Build your strategy on Amparity, the platform for customer data. Learn more at Amparity.com. So after um, uh, Investor's Business, you seem to catch an entrepreneurial bug. Tell us about that. So my husband is an environmentalist and works has worked for the Nature Conservancy for about 15 years, Audubon Society before that. So we were in the process of trying to make our home uh, environmentally sustainable. And so we were looking at solar and tankless hot water heaters and cork flooring and all of these different you know home improvement options and it was impossible to find information or resources and so we built a nationwide uh, service called low impact living which was like angie's list meets environmental product reviews and then also a home sustainability calculator that my husband built um, so you were able to plug in information about, you know, where you live, size of home, source of electricity, et cetera, and get a rating for your home. This was when An Inconvenient Truth came out and Al Gore, for those, those of you who remember, uh, getting people to be more conscious about climate change. Uh, so we started this business. We raised a, a friends and family round. We were about to close a VC round in October of 2008 which was exactly when you wanted to be in the home equity market uh, and everything fell to dust. Um, so we lost our funding. People were not investing in their homes. Um, it was a sad end, but a fantastic experience. And we often say if we had started that business 10 years later, it probably would have had longer legs. 
And as many of us know, some things that come to an end open up other doors uh, for folks, and that opened up a door for you at a company called Yahoo, it seems. Truly, yes. I mean, I think getting my hands really dirty in web development, digital content management, online partnerships, I mean, all of that stuff that we did with Low Impact Living was a great segue for me to Yahoo. Um, where I got to run strategy for the Americas uh, for a year and then was the GM of two Yahoo consumer properties. Um, some may remember Shine, which was the woman's property, uh, the largest women's website uh, in the world at that time, uh, and also Yahoo Health. Um, and so I got to run those soup to nuts, which was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, as we know, Yahoo was a little bit late to the mobile uh, boat, you know, really kind of got overly diversified and, and underinvested in mobile uh, development. Also went through four CEOs during my time there. Um, so it was, I would say it was tumultuous, but fun. One of the things that people, I, I've, I've done podcasts where I'm sitting answering the questions like you are. And one of the questions that, you know, people often ask is about success. And, you know, if you look at, you know, folks' resumes, you'd get some sense that they have been successful. In your mind, in the businesses that you've participated in, how are you measuring success? Uh, that is a rich question. If I look back over my career, I've had so many hills and valleys and sideways movements. And, you know, my my own success, I would, uh, I would have a very nuanced description of. I think, you know, in business, you know, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of working on primarily internet businesses over the last 20 something years, capturing consumer mind share and passion, uh, and consumers can be businesses or consumers or humans of any stripe, and really driving share growth and revenue growth at a profitable level. I've worked for companies that have not focused on profitability enough. You know, I think those those measures are pretty pretty ubiquitous and clear, but fundamentally the product or the service has to capture people's passion. And, you know, I, I worked at Open Table for a long time, one of the longest serving consumer internet brands and B2B brands. Um, with a very passionate and loyal following. Uh, obviously, COVID was not kind to the dining industry, but you know, uh, people adore Open Table, and it and it has had a very long run. Um, I would say success in my own life and my own career. I would say it is. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that I have made so many mistakes. I have learned from so many people. Uh, and the most humble and kind and generous leaders that I've gotten to work with have taught me that human kindness is really the only thing. I mean, you can run an amazing business, and if people despise the culture and are miserable working there, you are not winning in the long run. And I'm unwilling to work in an environment with people who are not kind and giving also driven and smart and exciting but but fundamentally kind and so i think if you'd asked me 15 years ago i was you know hard charging business ah, xbcg trying to eat as many opportunities as possible and now that i'm in my 50s i still love to drive growth 
but if we can't do it with human generosity, what are we really doing? That's great. You know, one of the things in uh, the show, we do a quick summary at the end, three key takeaways that uh, people can take back to their business or personal lives. Uh, and you just teed up uh, one of those for me. So thank you for making my job a little bit easier. Uh, so uh, some time at at Yahoo, and then uh, you, you move on to Apple. And, you know, I wasn't familiar with, um, you were director of product IAD. What was that product? So this was this is one of the funniest stories of my whole career. I knew a guy who uh, his wife and I worked together at Yahoo and we'd become friendly and he's a tech guy and he called me up and he's like, hey, Jess, I'm at this new business at Apple called IAD and it's the mobile advertising division of Apple. They bought a mobile mobile ad platform, brought it into Apple, and we're trying to build it out. And we've got a huge new product that we're working to launch. And we want you to come lead product marketing for that. And I can't tell you what it is. So classic Apple, uh, for anybody who's gone through any processes there, I mean, you show up and you interview for a job that does not have a job description. And it's, you know, everything is secret and it's project in 47 and 57 AZ and you're disclosed on that and he's disclosed on that. And you're never to talk about the Venn diagram overlap that does or does not exist between those things. And would you like the job? <laughs> and I said, you know, this is so weird and so interesting. And I really trust this guy and I'm just gonna take a flyer. Like I was like, I mean, you don't, how many opportunities to get to work at Apple? That sounds fascinating. I got my security clearance <laughs> at Apple, uh, which is, is really has some amazing similarities to the Pentagon and went and but worked on building an ad platform there, which is now a very thriving business. Um, we launched a product that some people may recall called iTunes Radio, which was uh, a, an ad supported radio product to compete with Spotify and Pandora. Uh, unfortunately, it, didn't, it was not successful as a consumer product, um, and so they they ended up shutting it down. But I mean, I learned so much about product development and brand consistency and the music industry. It was totally fascinating. You know, as an outside outsider, it it feels like nobody ever leaves Apple, right? And I guess people do, and you did. But was there a, and we'll talk about where you went, uh, you'll tell us about, you know, why you left, but was there this force keeping you there because it was Apple? Now, now my, my experience at Apple is now what, seven, eight, nine years old. I can't even, I, everything flows together. It's been a minute, but I mean, I think when I was there, you either wanted to be part of the Apple system and its dogma or not. Right. And there were very strict controls on who you could talk to about what things. And I certainly would not have described it as an open or collaborative environment. There were also no women on the executive team when I was there. So it was uh, an extremely hierarchical company run by five very powerful white men who had been there for a very long time and that system worked extremely well for them 
And there were a lot of people who adored, understandably, Apple products, Apple design, Apple innovation, and were very happy to accept a culture that was rigid and controlling. Um, and that's that's just not I, that's not my style. It's not who I am. So I didn't fit with Apple. Apple didn't fit with me. Um, but I'm thrilled I had that experience. Element is an award-winning advertising agency optimizing e-commerce campaigns around profit. In fact, they've helped 13 of their customers get acquired, with one selling for nearly $800 million and one that IPO'd recently. Plus, they were ranked as the 12th fastest growing agency in the world by Adweek. If you're an e-commerce business that needs help scaling your ads profitably, check them out at element.com, spelled E-L-U-M-Y-N-T dot com. And then to another, you know, well-known business, Facebook. Which was the definition of open, transparent, collaborative, no walls. No, you know, I mean, it was just a radical cultural shift and one that I was craving. You know, it was come and build. And if you see an opportunity, put a case together, go after it. Um, it was a very liberating move and you know facebook at that point when i when i joined it was four thousand people or right around there and uh it was zesty and exciting and energetic and we were gonna connect the world we really believed that we could and that we would help people all over the world connect and share and getting to be part of building that was thrilling now privacy and data security and hate speech and all, you know, I, I say when you invite 2 billion people to a party, some real assholes show up. And so, you know, the ugly underbelly of humanity became really apparent uh, across the platforms and, and, and really hard to manage. Um, and we made some major missteps and uh, learned some very hard lessons. Uh, but it was, you know, overall my time there was was really exhilarating. You had a few different roles at uh, at Facebook. Talk maybe uh, just quickly about your last one there. Yeah, so at the end, I was running all global platform marketing on the B2B side for the family of apps. So the messaging, positioning, product marketing, global campaign development for B2B, for Facebook, Instagram, Meta, you know, sorry, not Meta, Messenger, WhatsApp, et cetera, um, and really trying to drive the awareness and adoption of the platform of the family and making sure that advertisers understood, okay, here's what I should do with Facebook and Instagram. Here's what I can do on WhatsApp in India, et cetera, et cetera. And then also running a consumer insights practice about how people globally used the platforms um, and publishing insights uh, out to the business community on, on that consumer research. Being somebody who's a marketer, um, I've worked for numbers of brands where we have used Facebook as an advertising vehicle and uh, Instagram as advertising vehicle. And then also being someone that likes to connect with friends and my third grade teacher, um, which I you know have been able to do, uh, which has been fascinating. 
many of my friends talk about Facebook today with chagrin that, you know, it's changed from the ability to communicate with people to one big ad in their feed. You know, how is that rationalized within Facebook? I haven't worked there in several years now, so I don't, I'm not sure I can answer the la that last question. I mean, I would say I still believe that the connective power of the meta platforms is incredible and grandparents keep keeping in touch with grandchildren and college roommates and as you said connecting with old teachers connecting with political movements i mean there are things you can do on those platforms and now commerce you know all over the place too that's incredible is it ad supported yes are there times when there are too many ads or the wrong ads? Sure. Do you also feel that way on CNN and Yahoo and a bunch of other places? Probably so. I mean, I think Facebook has gotten pilloried, some of which it brought on itself and some of which I think is undeserved. But I use the platforms a hell of a lot and everybody in my life does. Uh, I also get some really good ads served to me that know who I am. So, you know, I think there's there's a fundamental, as you know, there's a fundamental trade-off between free digital platforms and advertising. And getting that mix right is bloody hard. Good. You mentioned uh, your time at uh, Open Table. That was during COVID, which was obviously very difficult for uh, hospitality. What was your role at Open Table? Well, so the funny thing is I actually was running marketing for Kayak and Open Table at the same time because they're both booking holdings companies. I was CMO of Open Table and SVP of Kayak and different CEOs and all that good stuff. But yeah, I started three months before COVID and, you know, had all my getting all my plans together for, you know, brand refresh and all this stuff. And then I have never seen a chart where revenue goes to zero. Um, and that is exactly what happened with Co I mean, it was just the most shocking grinding to a halt imaginable. And so we had to slash budgets, multiple rounds of layoffs, totally pivot our marketing from go out and dine to order takeout from your local restaurant and stay home and stay safe, but keep your local restaurant in business. I mean, so we became like a life support lobbying organization for the travel and dining industries. So it was totally wild. Yeah, Open Table is a favorite of ours, uh, though one of the, my, my frustrations about Open Table is I earn rewards uh, for making uh, invitation, you know, uh, reservations, but I have yet to do anything with any reward that I've ever given. I have no idea how to redeem any of them or what the value is of any of that reward thing. So I know that's not you anymore, but that's my my dig I, at Open I, Table. I've heard that before and people do redeem them, but I agree it could be easier and clearer. I got to figure out where to redeem them, but yeah. I must have I'll thousands. Send, I'll send you some links. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's talk about Indeed. Arguably today, uh, if somebody's looking for a job, they start their job search on Indeed. Maybe I've heard that in a commercial. Talk about kind of the mantra of your company. Uh, so Indeed is the largest job site in the world. 
Uh, we have over 350 million people coming per month. Uh, we operate in 60 countries. And as you said, we are the market leader in many of our countries. You know, over 3.5 million employers list jobs with us. So we are a very large marketplace connecting employers and job seekers across an incredible array of, I mean, we do dishwashers, sales representatives, CFOs, lawyers, and bus drivers. So it's, it's a fascinating global landscape of different labor market dynamics, but uh, we are very passionate about helping people get jobs. That's our mission. And we believe that talent is universal and opportunity is not. So helping people overcome barriers to employment, which can be race, ethnicity, LGBTQ status, veteran status, incarceration history. Um, so we have a number of programs targeting groups of job seekers and helping them um, connect with employers, build resumes, learn interviewing skills, um, and get access to opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have. You, know, you talked earlier about you know wanting to work for good people and and people that you can you know rely on and you know not the screamers and the yellers you know you didn't say that but you know that's kind of what I was listening to you know when people are looking for work there's a certain amount of empathy that people need to show them is that something that an indeed can do as a tool as a device to help people find jobs to have empathy for the job seekers I love that point. And yes, definitely. So we provide a lot of coaching materials to employers. There are 70 million people in the United States with an incarceration record, and that is a huge barrier to employment. And so helping employers understand that people deserve a second chance and a third chance and that skills people have prior to incarceration or gained during incarceration should be understood and counted pay transparency helping employers understand that people need to be able to understand what kind of money they can make and publishing those ranges we actually did an advertising campaign around helping employers understand how to interview LGBTQ and particularly trans people, like, you know, asking people for their pronouns and, you know, what kinds of questions could you, should you ask or not? Um, and so I think empathy is a huge through line through so much of what we try to help employers embrace. Um, but then also that we communicate in our marketing. You know, you've had a number of different roles in some great companies. And, you know, I think we get a lot of folks that listen to this show that are early in their career. They're trying to figure out when it's right to make a job change. Does your company help people, you know, think about when it's the right time to make a job change? Absolutely. So we we provide a lot of content and coaching uh, information to people to say, okay, you've had this kind of job in this kind of organization for this time. Do you know that, you know, you, you could leverage those skills into this kind of career or job? Do you know that you could be making more money in this area? So definitely we are trying to provide education and guidance to people, um, to help them make changes. Um, and I'll say from my own 
observation and in my life and what I've seen, people stay in jobs way too long. They work for bad bosses. They work in negative environments. They don't get paid enough. Um, so I always encourage people to lift your head up, look out. Um, and if you're in a great job in a great company, lucky you have a great time. Uh, but it takes in my life, it, I've had to try on a lot of sweaters. And I think that I've learned more doing that and found the kind of people and organization and culture I want to work in. Um, so I definitely think, I mean, and I will say particularly women, I think feel kind of more loyalty or commitment. And so the number of women I talk to are like, I've been in this job seven years and my boss will never promote me and I'm not learning and I'm not making what I should get out go uh, and certainly economic conditions change and that's easier said than done at various times but most people get stuck great insights great insights this has been a lot of fun uh listening to you uh talk about your your background jessica thank you uh so much so um we are down to what we call the two-minute drill seven questions one word answer are you ready i hope so a brand that you admire or that inspires you? Patagonia. Favorite app on your phone? Instagram. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Etsy. Something that you're not good at but wish that you were? Piano. Charitable organization that you're passionate about? Planned Parenthood. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Patience. And other than family, what's your most prized possession? Two Shih Tzus. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I was going to say that you know you're the first person in 90 shows to do all seven questions with one word answers but you know you blew it on the I last failed, one i failed on the last question because i can't pick a sheet <laughs> jessica where can people uh, reach out to you on social media should they be interested to do so yeah i'm on uh instagram facebook linkedin you can send me an email jjensen at indeed.com uh, love hearing from people. I'm a, I'm a big social connector. So um, anyone who's interested in jobs, labor markets, marketing, uh, love to hear from you. And I will tell you, folks, I did not know Jessica uh, before uh, I reached out to her on uh, LinkedIn um, to ask her to be a guest on my show. And she was very gracious. She uh, she connected with me and we set this up. And I'm really glad that you did. So thank oh, you. I'm so glad we did, too. Thank you, Mark. This is a hoot. All right. Well, you have a good rest of the year. I should have uh, said we recorded this uh, on Cyber Monday while most retailers are out there checking their sales. We were uh, sitting here having a, a very nice conversation. So thank you again, and you have a good rest of the year. Have a great holiday season and happy new year when you get there. Thank you very much. Take care. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Jessica Jensen for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, the word is empathy. When people are looking for a new job, they sometimes need help networking. They need ideas about how best to search, and they also need some empathy. Unfortunately, many employers that are looking to fill roles, along with recruiters, forget that there are people sitting behind those applications and resumes. 
So if you're approached to help someone, think about how that could be used someday and show them the empathy that they may need at that time. This also ties into Jessica's call out about human kindness. Whether you are the owner of a company or you have people working for you, treat them with the respect that they deserve and the way that you want to be treated. And number two, when one door closes, another one opens. Jessica spoke about the business that she and her husband started, Low Impact Living, a sustainability concept that was impacted by the recession in 2008. She used that as a great learning opportunity, but she picked herself back up and found other ways to continue her career. So if you find yourself in a similar position, don't give up. The next opportunity is often better than the one that you just had. And number three, we hear the term brand often in marketing, but what is a brand? If you search on the definition, a brand is the collective impact or lasting impression from all that is seen, heard, or experienced by customers who come into contact with a company and its products and services. It's the most critical asset that a company can have. So if you're in a role where you can control how consumers see your company, every touch point is critical. From the advertising they see to how you connect with them for customer service issues, don't ever take your brand for granted. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, the devil is in the details.